Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential. Asher, how's your week been? My week's been great. Very successful. Uh, My lookbook Instagram account, where it is just photos of me showing off my styles and fashion and, uh, uh, oh no, I'm panicking. I don't know any other words. (laughs) Uh, my, uh, I mean, lookbook was the cool term that I learned recently for young fashionistas and models who, uh, have 50,000 plus followers on Instagram. If you have any idea what I'm talking about here. Loosely, I, that's the kind of culture that I very much avoid is that kind of fashionista millions of follower Instagram that they're like, I got this shirt at Banana Republic. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've been very successful and now I have 100,000 followers on Instagram because I figured it out. I figured it out, Jackson. Okay, Uh, enlighten me so I can gain the followers. Here is the succinct wisdom, the fortune cookie truth. Style is being wrong on purpose. Oh, this all became very clear to me uh, just yesterday. So you've been a part of my meteoric rise over the past 24 hours. Okay. When I was at a outdoors block party slash concert slash food trucks extravaganza. Okay. It's a beautiful, sunny Texas day, 80 degrees, 85 degrees ish. Um, Very young, trendy, hip kids all over. Saw this guy who was unquestionably cool and he was wearing this outfit which i'll describe in detail but all you really need to know is a baseball jersey with the sleeves rolled up or cut off black skinny jeans and leather boots in the 85 degree texas sun this dude was so cool and he was completely wrong that is incorrect it's a beautiful texas summer day the correct answer is flip-flops shorts and a tank top This dude's got it all wrong, but the important thing is he's got it wrong on purpose. You know that that didn't get there by accident, right? And that's the key to being fashionable is the intentionality. It's the mindset behind it. It's the viewer knows that they made a decision. So how far do you think I could get with just a t-shirt that says in big letters, Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 deserved best picture? Um... I don't know if you could get very far with that particular, I've, because that's what you're wearing every day. Yeah, well, it's more just what I have tattooed in large print on my chest. You just have a cut through window, like a little, little keyhole where you can see your tattoo through your shirt. It's I usually wear a, a shirt with kind of a, a translucent window. Yeah, that allows for people to see that tattoo. But is that not the kind of wrong you're thinking? I mean, that's my point is that. You wear that every day and it's the norm. And this is actively trying to fight against the norm. Make a statement. Wear the incorrect clothing on purpose. Like me right now with my newfound fame and fortune on Instagram. uh, These biker shorts and Calvin Klein dress shirts don't get on me just on accident. I had to put these here. That's amazing. And are you trying to pitch this as a line of outfits called, called wrong fashion or something? No, you see, you can't actually brand it. It's lightning in a bottle. You probably wouldn't understand. That's fair. Thank you for enlightening me. (laughs) You have to assemble it yourself. It's your own personal journey. 
it's just about self-reflection, man. I mean, think about where you live, what your current situation is. Be honest with yourself and think, what's the worst thing I could wear right now for this function? Well, I could make a full bodysuit made out of entirely LaCroix cans. Correct. Well, that sounds easy. Just a bunch of work and a bunch of tetanus shots. I don't know if more tetanus shots makes you more of... <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, I'm about to stick my hand in a bunch of metal and know for sure that I'm going to get infected with tetanus if I just take like 10 tetanus vaccines, if I'll be okay. Listen, Doc, I'm behind on my tetanus shots. I don't want you to stop until I am immortal to rust. You better leave Anyway, it. that was some brilliant, witty, observational humor that is afforded to me as an outsider from that particular culture. Similarly, difficult word, similarly. Similarly. The similarly. Yeah, you got it. I'm, I was equally an outsider to the lottery. We're talking about the lottery today. That was the best I could do. I was just about to say it's pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, I didn't know anything about the lottery other than a lot of old people like to call it the tax on the stupid. <laughs> Man, you were raised in Texas. <laughs> I was raised in Texas and Louisiana, and that sentiment was common among my elder peers. Uh, turns out, though, in truth, people from all different income levels and education levels all play the lottery. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, it really is just a game. Something to do with sometimes with your coworkers. You have the uh, the office pool. It's almost like a team building exercise, right? That you're all going in together on this one uh, potential prize, and it's fun to talk about what you would all do with your winnings. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the way I know the lottery is, or the way I grew up knowing the lottery is, once you turn eighteen. At Christmas, our family would get, would put a lottery ticket in your stocking. Yeah, see, that's fun. And I never experienced that at all. Like, I, it, I wouldn't say that it was a form of evil, but it was a form of gambling and definitely discouraged and openly mocked by many of my family members. I always also uh, kind of viewed it as a, as a prop point in uh, time travel stories. Yeah, where wherein somebody could travel to two weeks from now, figure out what the numbers were from a week ago's like big buster lottery number or whatever they're called. Use those exact numbers after they've traveled back in time and win. It's a very convenient plot MacGuffin. Yeah, very similar to the I mean, you, you could do the same thing with any kind of gambling where you're betting on like a horse race or something and you just time travel to right at the end of the horse race and bet a million dollars on the winner or whatever. But Jackson, what if I told you that there have been lottery winners in the past who knew they would win? Yeah, I've seen Were they Lost. time travelers? That happens in Lost. <laughs> yeah, it actually, it does. You're right. Which we're not going to get into. But we're talking about real life here. I want to talk about lottery scandals. I'm interested. We'll start with a real simple one here. The triple six fix which apparently is the most infamous lottery scandal of all time. Not really because it was a huge sum of money, but they made a movie about this. Lucky Numbers featuring uh, John Travolta. So of course I haven't seen it. I think I'm going to watch a John Travolta movie for this show. I don't get paid enough for this. On purpose? But I'm not going to subject you or anyone else to having to watch this film. I can just give you the basics. A man named Nick Perry who is a radio personality and host of Pittsburgh's nightly televised lottery drawing on Channel 4 in the 70s and 80s, along with his brothers, Peter and Jack Mar Maragos, they concocted a plan to just use weighted lottery balls. 
So now let's describe, and this was the most fun and also illustrates how little I knew about the lottery. I didn't really know what that meant by like how, having a, yeah, like having a, a weighted ball could like change the outcome. I knew that like you had Powerball and I've seen it on TV at like, you know, various convenience stores. Like you have the, the ball that rolls in and it's got the number printed on it. Um, I didn't realize how goofy the actual these lottery machines are that just use ping pong balls and a vacuum. Yeah, that's what they use in Lost. And this, I mean, as an as an outsider seeing this and learning about this for the first time, I could not stop laughing watching the 2018 NBA draft, the lottery for that, and the pomp and circumstance and seriousness of people's, you know, you have these players whose entire life trajectory is being determined by ping pong balls that are bouncing around inside of what looks like a like a children's like a Hasbro toy. Yeah. And it's a there you have these guys in suits standing around with their hands neatly folded while this thing <laughs> runs yeah. and ping pong balls are shooting all over the place and eventually <laughs> a vacuum sucks one up. Yeah. And instead mean, of applauding at this very neat trick, everyone stays totally silent and somber with clenched teeth. I mean, it's amazing that something that decides the fate of one of the most respected sports in the history of the universe is decided by something that looks like it got left outside a Chuck E. Cheese. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you can like this multi, multi million dollar organization and the future of that organization comes down to throwing a bunch of ping pong balls in a bucket and then shaking it really hard with the vacuum. That's amazing. So, but when you said lottery, I, I was imagining more like Powerball. I was imagining less the actual lottery chances of the NBA picking different drafts. I was thinking more you and I go in on a Powerball thinking there's an odd tiny chance you and I could win a million dollars. Sure. I mean, to elaborate a little bit more on what Nick Perry did to weight these uh, ping pong balls, to give you an idea of how he cheated this in a, it's so simple that it's genius where they just added enough weight to the ball, except for the fours and sixes, so that only fours and sixes could be drawn out by the machine. They wanted, they had to have just the right amount of weight that the balls would bounce around and look convincing, but only the fours and sixes were light enough to actually be pulled up by the vacuum. Mm -hmm. So by doing so, because this was a lottery that only used three numbers, there was only eight possible combinations. So that was a pretty easy spread, right? That just buy yeah. eight tickets. It wasn't a huge payout. I mean, anything with just three numbers is not going to be, those aren't astronomically tough chances. Yeah, like you could, you could almost do that. Uh, I, guess, I guess you couldn't really do that with, without weighting the balls, but yeah. I mean, I'm guessing the reason that you use ping pong balls and this very, I want to say archaic mechanical method of determining the numbers is that we have reasons not to trust something that's digitally produced right right because that would mean that someone could fix the numbers by altering the formula that produces them much like eddie tipton did in 2017 who was the security director of the multi-state lottery association or muscle for short that was a non-profit agency non-profit what the that oversees numerous lotteries all over the United States. Were they a so 501c3 where they like donated all of their money to a charity afterwards? I don't really know what makes them a nonprofit, but all that really matters for our story is that Eddie Tipton had a lot of power over the lottery because 
He was granted access to places that no ordinary civilian could go. This is coming from lotterycritic.com slash news. Talking about lottery scams. Uh, He had access to the highly secured draw room. He hacked into the room's CCTV and set it so that the footage that was recording him in this draw room was only getting about a second of footage per minute, which gave him plenty of time in those uh, other 59 seconds to alter the code. And basically, he, he installed a self-destructing rootkit program that it, is, it would essentially allow him to predict the numbers of certain lottery games without a single trace. Hmm. Now, that was tough enough. He had to have the technical know-how, the mathematical know-how, but he also has to collect the funds, right? And this is where a lot of scams and scandals fall apart. The person who is collecting the money can't do so anonymously. Like, you have to give the name of who is collecting. And basically, it would, all of the different lotteries that he won, uh, all the people who came to collect were friends and family members and people started to draw the connection like what's the common link between all these lottery winners oh it's this one guy who happens to have access to he basically has access to the machine that will determine the number that is generated for this particular lottery people saw through it pretty quickly well he got away from it from 2005 to 2011 uh winning lotteries in colorado wisconsin kansas iowa and oklahoma so he actually got away with it for quite a while But he is in prison now. Yeah, he faces up to 25 years in prison. The warning bells initially went off when the trust that the lawyer represented withdrew the claim when he asked for the identity for the original ticket purchaser, because Iowa and most other states don't allow anonymity for lottery winners. And that's how they found out that none other than Eddie Tipton himself had bought the winning ticket. A bunch of times. And him doing so was caught on security footage at the convenience store he cashed in. And that happened, and his name was... On that a bunch of times. Yes, they were able to find that he was linked to all these lottery winnings and the the whole thing fell apart from there. That seems like a really smart thing to do at first. Yeah, and perhaps it's not too surprising that that's how a lot of these guys get caught is that it's successful one time and, and it goes off without a hitch. And then, and then, then you get cocky. You get cocky, you do. And you just think like, man, you maybe you're nervous, but then... You never get a phone call. No cop ever talks to you. You just you collect and you get off scot free and you're like, why would I not do that again? Like that was so easy and there were no problems. Exactly. And that's what happened to uh, a lottery in China. The five minute loophole. This is the simplest thing, but it had the most dire of consequences, perhaps too harsh. There was a man, Zhao Likin or L-I-Q-U-N. I usually do. (laughs) <laughs> look up name pronunciations having a hard time even finding something online for this one uh he's currently facing a lifetime sentence for wow. a loophole that he discovered and used to his advantage he just worked at a convenience store by the way but he just figured out the simple fact that after the winning numbers were drawn for this particular lottery there was a five minute window where anyone who had access to the system where you could purchase tickets could you purchase could still, that ticket you could purchase that ticket legitimately Within five minutes of the announcement, there was some there was a bit of a delay with the cutoff for when you could buy a ticket. I feel like that person does not deserve to be in prison, especially for his entire life. I mean, it's viewed as being too harsh. uh, And I have to agree with that. I mean, he figured out a totally legal thing that was wrong with the system and used it to make money. That's that's legal. What did they charge him with? 
Um, I don't have the exact charges, but again, he may have gotten off scot-free if he hadn't done the trick a total of three times, raking in a what you know the equivalent of three point seven six million uh, or twenty eight million yuan. So what you're telling me and our listeners is that cheating the lottery is totally okay as long as you only do it once or twice. And that's the real focus that I want to bring up is the man who did get away with cheating and winning the lottery 14 times because he did so completely legally. Wow. I want to skip ahead to the end. He lives on a remote island, retired on the beach, not serving a life in in prison, living very comfortably. After gaming the system for decades. And here's how he did it. Do you think that's true? Or do you think it's kind of like he went to a farm upstate and was murdered? No, there's, I mean, they they still know where he is. People are still in contact with him and he does still do uh, interviews occasionally. Okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) You think that's how the wealthy break the news to the, their young kids who just don't understand the concept of death? Uncle Timothy bought a big island far in the Pacific and we won't see him for a long time. He's got plenty of room to run around. Play with other uncles. Steven Mandel is the man in question. He was born in the 60s in Romania. Not a great time to be born in Romania, though, because it was under Soviet rule. And he was, like many of the Romanian citizens at that time, crushed by poverty. This was a period marred by profound misery, according to The Economist. And there weren't very many ways that he could better himself legally. A lot of people in Romania at this time turned to a life of crime, but Mandela was a self-proclaimed philosopher-mathematician. He was working as an economist, and he figured out that if he wanted out of the country, the only way he could think to make any cash was the lottery. So his plan was figuring out the best way to win a complete gamble. Yeah, and he wasn't an idiot. And it sounds like the stupidest thing you could do was bank on winning the lottery, staking your whole future on it. Mm -hmm. But he came up with something that he dubbed the combinatorial condensation, basically a number picking algorithm that was based on the probability papers written by 13th century mathematician Leonardo Fibonacci. Right. Using that. One, one, two, three, five, eight, 13, 21, that thing. That's all correct. You got all those exactly right. He doesn't really go into detail of how he came up with this algorithm trade secret, I guess. But there was a sort of a fluke in the Romanian lottery that allowed him to use this algorithm to predict the first five of the six numbers. And then the last one, he could just get 10 tickets, I guess, right? Or however many numbers there were. You know, the, the, the number on the ball can be from one to 40 to 50 like yeah. The lottery can decide how large the number on the ball is, but the average is between 40 and 50. Uh, for for the last number? Yeah. I mean, there were still, even after his calculations, thousands of possibilities, actually. I'm not sure how this lottery works. It's, it's different from the Powerball that we know and love today. But he narrowed it down from millions to thousands and was able to convince other uh mathematically minded people and economists to go in with him on this scheme and purchase thousands of lottery tickets at a very low price. Mm-hmm. Still didn't guarantee a win, but he lucked out and he did win a prize of only about $20,000 in U.S. cash. But that was enough to get him out of Romania. He had to bribe some foreign ministry officials, but he did achieve his goal of making it out of the country Eventually making it to Australia. 
Mm. He spent about four years roaming around in Europe, but in Australia, there was a cheap cost of living and, important for our story, great lottery payouts. Perhaps still riding on the high of getting lucky and inventing a, an algorithm that improved his chances. He didn't want to stop. Um, he didn't want to stop there because remember, he's still not rich. Like he barely had enough money to bribe his way out of the country. Mm-hmm. But he still had the mind and he still had the formulas that allowed him to get this far. But his solution for the Australian lottery and guaranteeing that he could win is actually the simplest one of all. I mean, let's see if you can figure it out. I bet you can if I walk you through this, Jackson. Okay. If you wanted to, with a more traditional, now we're talking about Powerball, ping pong balls, uh, the balls have a range of, you know, the number one through 40. Okay. They don't have to be in a particular sequence. The, those numbers just have to be drawn, right? And this is another thing I only recently learned, is that that's, what it, that's when you get your fortune cookie that says that your, lo- your lucky numbers are this, and it's like 40, 36, blah, 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 and it lists out the numbers, is that you can then, you go to the... Um, convenience store or wherever it is that you get your lottery ticket and you can tell them the numbers that you want, right? It's not like a raffle where there's only one ticket for each number and they're all distributed. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you seen lost? Um, I have seen lost, although I'm glad that, I mean, I'm not remembering that specifically, but I'm glad that anyone who like me has never played the lottery has that point of reference. You're being able to actively pick your numbers. What's a way that you could guarantee that you win? Um, I don't know. Pick all the numbers? Pick all the numbers! That was the solution. Mathematically, not that complicated. If you have every possible combination and you've paid for a ticket for every single one, you are literally guaranteed to win. (laughs) And in the 1990s, there was no law against this. Against a single group or person, like, they could, you could purchase as many tickets as you wanted. The appeal of the lottery is that you're only spending a little bit of cash with the potential massive payout. So the idea that anyone would spend millions on lottery tickets wasn't even considered. All you had to do was find a lottery whose payout was three times the number of possible number combinations, three times or larger. So here's an example from thehustle.com or .co, excuse me. He would calculate the total possible combinations using a simple factorial formula. So let's assume that a lottery picks six numbers between 1 and 40. That gives you 3,838,380 total combinations. So at a dollar a piece, it's about $3.8 million. But if the payout is $10 million, then that's $6 million in uh, not necessarily profit. You still got to pay tons of taxes and pay out your investors who helped you buy these tickets. But that is a guaranteed net gain of millions. So mathematically, this isn't complicated. It's just logistically complicated. He has to be able to make sure that he has printed off all of the tickets, turned them all in, gotten receipts for every one of them, and be able to cash it on the day that he wins. Right. This is no small feat. (laughs) You can't just go to a convenience store and say, I would like to purchase four million tickets, please and manually put in all those numbers. And that's really where his genius shows. Okay, this is the part I was interested in because I was imagining walking into a convenience store, telling somebody that, and then that employee employee being like, yeah, I quit this job. (laughs) Well, over a period of years while working a day job as an insurance agent, Mandel convinced hundreds of investors to pull their money together to create a lotto syndicate 
and developed a full-fledged automation system, a room full of printers and computers running on an algorithm that pre-populated tickets with every combination. See, computers revolutionized Mandel's process because before he was writing out all these combinations by hand <laughs> and a single human error, uh, that could ruin the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> he basically grew his reputation through smaller wins and was able to present his uh, lotto syndicate as a financial investment and not a gamble. And eventually he was able to build himself up to the point that he was trusted with thousands of dollars by each individual investor. His largest winning and the most famously is when he set his eyes on the United States and the Virginia $5 million, excuse me, not $5 million, the Virginia lottery, which had a 37 million jackpot See, Virginia's lottery offered several advantages. This coming from the hustle again. It was fairly new, allowed buyers to purchase tickets in unlimited qualities and print the tickets at home. But most importantly, its numbers only ranged from 1 to 44. Other states went as high as 54. And this meant that uh, with six picks, there were only 7 million possible combinations compared to the usual 25 million plus. I feel like you could pretty easily handwrite 7 million cards. Yeah, no problem. Just... Take a weekend, watch, watch a couple episodes of Lost. You got it. Really here, a lot of his skills must just be convincing people that this is a good idea, right? Because he convinced 2,524 investors to put in at least $3,000 each into the pot in order to be able to afford $7 million worth of tickets. I still and feel like it must have paid off for, I mean, it must have paid off for them at least a little bit because he super succeeded, right? Yeah, and he succeeded by staying ahead of the curb because he would win the lottery and then the government would say, well, you can technically do that, but not again. And they would change the rules. So first he did it personally. He bought all of his tickets. Australian lottery said, OK, one person can't buy all of the tickets. So he said, OK, fine, then I'll have a group of people. And then he won doing that. So the Australian government said, all right, you can't have a single group of people buying all of the tickets. He said, fine, then I'll start a firm and make a company that can buy all of the tickets. And eventually the Australian government caught on to that. And that's why he moves on to the United States, because they hadn't had any of these problems before. They had never seen anything like this. So yeah. he could go back to square one where it was totally legal for him to just buy all the tickets as an individual. This sounds like the worst kind of toddler. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like this guy, as soon as th this guy's parents tell him a rule, he's like, actually, I'm doing it differently. Yeah, exactly. Actually, and I'm changing it a little bit. You're technically wrong. I mean, I, this is the perfect analogy of somebody who is a the most annoying kind of child. But it's the kind of person that's like, technically, it's 1220 at, at it's 20 minutes past midnight. So it's technically the morning. So can you please stop calling <laughs> yeah. it night? Exactly. Or like technically last night we watched Fight Club. Actually, though, we started it at 12.03. So this morning we watched Fight Club. Yeah, but that's like you say something that annoying and then your friend never talks to you again. And you think, OK, I'll just find a new friend because that's what Mandel was doing. He would just jump to a different lottery once they made a rule to adjust for his uh, I'm not going to say chicanery. But he would he would make an exploit. They would fix the exploit and he just move on to another lottery. There are plenty to choose from. Define chicanery. Got it. Go on. Just to give you an idea of how big of an operation this was, the tickets that they self printed for the Virginia lottery 
They were all printed in Australia and shipped over to the United States. Why? The sheer bulk of all that paperweight cost $60,000 to ship overseas. <laughs> why, the, didn't they, why didn't they just do it in America then? Because he already had the business in Australia? Yep. He already had the printers. He already had everything running and ready to go. And if everything went off, went off without a hitch, $60,000 was not that much money. Fair. Now, there's a lot of details that we can get into about how he coordinated with dozens of ticket runners who would basically like their whole job was just to go to as any convenience store that would accept them and buy as many tickets as possible. And there was all this coordination of like people had certain ranges of numbers they had to buy, took dozens of teams, but they more or less got it done within a span of three days. The uh, once the Virginia lottery reached a jackpot that made it worth their while, that was go time. And they had three days until the drawing to get all of their numbers in. Although there was a hitch in the final hours where a range of, oh, uh, about a million numbers weren't put in just because the convenience stores and grocery stores that were uh, putting in these numbers basically just hit their capacity. You get a small cut on ticket sales as a convenience store. That's why people didn't just turn them away outright. Because if you come in and you say, hey, I want to buy 200,000 tickets, that's an actual profit for the convenience store who would normally be getting pennies per ticket. But the sheer bulk of that workload was just too much for all of these small independently owned businesses to handle. And by the time that the drawing had begun for the lottery, they had only had about 78% of all of the numbers purchased. So they still had a pretty decent chance of losing, but... Ultimately, they did luck out. They hit that 78% margin and won the $27 million jackpot. $27 million. This would be impossible now, as I sort of implied earlier, because, of course, once this happened, the rules got changed, and he was under investigation for quite some time, but they couldn't find anything to pin him. This was totally legal, at least at the time that he did it. So this guy now gets to live with most of the money he made on an island just living off of the fact that he scammed a scam pretty much and legally scammed a legal scam more importantly man he deserves it all well even though mandel was sweating that 78 percent chance that's still pretty good odds but there's a 100 percent chance that you will enjoy glimmerl's album burden of proof he wrote our song theme song threadbare and he has a Spotify, iTunes, any place you stream music, you can listen to his stuff there. He's got a new EP that came out recently. Give that a listen. Yeah. And then if you want to follow us on our social media, we've got an Instagram at Strictly Confidential Show, where we post a couple times a week talking about what our newest topics are on and stuff like that, and a Twitter at S Confident Show. And then if you want to email us anything, comments on something we've talked about, stuff you want to come on and talk about, theories you've heard about but don't want to talk about and want us to talk about, that kind of thing, uh, shoot us an email at strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. We would love to interview you if you have something you want to talk about. And if you have a best friend, and I hope you do, and you enjoy this show, please tell them that they should give it a listen because that word of mouth is extremely important and powerful and helps us out a ton, and we seriously appreciate it. And thanks so much to all the people, I've been thinking about this recently, the, who have already written reviews for us. Mm -hmm. That's just above and beyond. That's awesome. And we, it really, really does mean a lot to us. So thank you. Yeah, and that's basically it. If you want to leave us a review, we greatly appreciate that. We genuinely go through and read every one of them. So uh, let us know. We're 
the entire team behind the show is me and Asher, and we love getting to read that you enjoy it or that. I mean, even if you left a review that was like, you know what, maybe maybe fewer jokes about uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, even that kind of thing we'd love. We won't listen to it, but I mean, we'd love to get it. The, the Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 jokes are just going to go straight out from here. But well, until next time, I've been Asher. I've been Jackson. And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. Jackson, how about we end off with you giving people their lucky numbers? 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, and 42. See, I told you I wouldn't say 69.